Hey everybody, I am Jeremy Volkman, and welcome to the first episode of a yet-to-be-named podcast. This is going to be a podcast where I will talk about whatever I want, I guess. Um, so, for this first episode, I think I'll start with a little bit of an introduction, just so people, just so you people know who I am. Um... I am Jeremy Volkman, a an occasional voice actor, and whenever I remember to, uh, I do a bit of writing here and there, and I'm just a giant nerd of a lot of things, so this could be interesting, I feel, uh, but I'm doing this first episode just kind of as a test to see how this goes. But of course, I am not alone here on this first episode. I actually have a guest. Her name is Arena Rooney. Yellow, hello. I am also a occasional voice actor and uh, the nerd of all kinds of things as well. <laughs> uh, so it's getting close to October by now. Um, so we thought that we could talk a little bit about horror movies because there are a lot of different horror movies out there, and we just decided that we can talk about some of the ones that, you know, we love, or some of the ones that inspired us. Um, and, uh, and if you happen to know uh, a lot of the things that I tend to post on uh, around the Halloween time, includes my traditional Arena Rooney's Six Nights of Scares, which pays homage to many films that I admire, such as Fright Night, The Blob, Child's Play, and the occasional Jason Voorhees and what have you. And um, it's a lot of fun to be able to share that experience with a bunch of other horror fans and just people in general who love a good scare. Yeah. I will be leaving links to all of Rena Rooney's social media down in the description below. So check that out in case you're interested to see what she's making. I will be eventually making the third and final um, to end the terrifying trilogy that is the Six Nights of Scares. Uh, but first, I need to finish the final episode of the second season which is hopefully, and I say hopefully, because this has been on the back burner for several years just because of, you know, things being crazy with having started grad school and such a while back. But eventually, at some point, I will be working on the third and final portion of the trilogy in which I will definitely be needing fellow VAs and horror enthusiasts alike to be able to create um, one satisfying conclusion to this little series of silly scares that we have going on. So that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it certainly sounds like it. And I'm always here if you need my voice somewhere in there. <laughs> 100%, my dude. There, there's always something. And if, if not this project, then I've, of course I've got tons of other different projects on the way, such as audio dramas and uh, web comics. Yeah. Well, speaking of, uh, like, the Six Nights of Scares and the upcoming Halloween season, um, what are some of the horror movies that you've seen this year? Oh, man. So, uh, I've been able to see quite a few number of horror movies this year that I absolutely adored, and then some that I would not stand <laughs> but um i mean the other uh, the other day we actually watched the meg 2 we we watched we, we watched the first meg and then the second meg and it was if you put away your um knowledge of the fact that some of these things that are going on is a stretch like you know jason statham out swimming a, a freaking prehistoric shark uh, if you put those uh you know pre pre notions away uh, it is an absolutely fun film to be able to enjoy um it does branch very differently from the book which i highly recommend checking out as well the book was absolutely phenomenal and i hope to be able to um revisit it again and actually listen to more of the audiobooks, I should say, um, of the series. But 
even though it's a it's a bit of a stretch and a very big contrast to the book, the films were a lot of fun. Um, another couple of films that we saw this year, um, if you happen to know, I went to Sonic Revolution as one of the guests with my team for Sonic Villains, an upcoming Sonic fan film, which I am very humbled to be a part of. Uh, I voice Tails and to call in it. And on the way to the convention, I believe it was the day before the convention, we decided to go to the movies because we were our hotel was maybe 12 minutes away from the movie. It was phenomenal area. Um, But we ended up watching The Boogeyman. And, well, (laughs) when I tell you, my roommate, even though the film was scary, she was laughing a good portion of the time. (laughs) <laughs> Not at the film, at me jumping up and screaming in the air about nine times. Nine times, she counted, because we were at the front row, because that was what was available at the time. And if you know me well enough, you know that I scream like a cartoon character. No matter what I do, I absolutely... You have SpongeBob SquarePants screaming at you and trying to get you to follow rules and such. That is my scream, okay? You you can't take my scream seriously. So literally the entire film, you just hear SpongeBob screaming his head off. But still, a great movie, nonetheless. <laughs> and, um... You know, it's just been a lot of different movies that we had a lot. Me and my friend, we have a tradition of watching horror movies. Um, yeah. They tend to be the things that we watch the most. Um, one of my favorite genres. So we end up watching a ton of horror movies. Some of them um, direct to DVDs. Some of them in theaters. Some of them we have to stream online because can't find them anywhere else. But it's a lot of fun being able to watch these movies. And sometimes we get to laugh and make fun of some of them. Some of them we get genuinely terrified of. And then some that are just mixed reviews and yet a good time nonetheless. And, um, you know, and we still have a lot more movies that we are looking forward to. Uh, One thing that we've been planning for quite a while now, we've got a big group already just planning about this. But uh, if you've seen the trailers, Five Nights at Freddy's, the movie. I know it's not going to be the greatest movie in the world, nor pay too much attention to the lore of the games, but good God, does that look like a fun time. And that is what we were planning to do for Halloween. Yeah, it, it certainly sounds like a movie that you can just sit and watch with like a bunch of your friends and have a good time. Because um, I think the the premise of that movie seems like there's a lot of potential there for um like things to explore or uh you know like atmosphere to build um and stuff like that so yeah it it seems like it would be a really fun time to watch that i mean even though the film itself some of the I know people keep commenting about the red eyes, which I can understand. It does look very goofy. But, I mean, the animatronics themselves look like they're pulled straight from the game. And it is just phenomenal. I was just in awe when I saw that in the trailer. Yeah, the film looks like it's going to be cheesy or typical. Um, Not typical. More so, like, instead of the current video game adaptation of films... More so, like, we're going to get, like, a 90s adaptation of the films, which, if you remember, like, the Street Fighter, the Double Dragon, (laughs) Super Mario from the 90s, I feel like that's the kind of vibe we're going to get with this Five Nights at Freddy's movie. But it looks like it has a lot of heart. And we've got a great cast. I mean, I was absolutely shocked to see Josh Hutchinson in there, as well as Matthew Lillard, a.k.a. one of the OG killers from Scream, I mean, come on, that is an amazing cast just to, for a film such as this. And just incredible animatronic puppeteering. So even if the film is not the greatest, I, I just love the fact that they did that. That is, I'm just in awe that they put that much into this film. Yeah, and I feel like what's important with like a horror movie of an existing franchise is that like you want to capture the spirit of the franchise and bring it to a big screen. And it seems like 
uh, with what you've told me and what I've gleaned from looking at my social media, it, it seems like it, like the people know what the franchise is about, so they can really just, um, they can really just make it with that in mind and just kind of, yeah, like I said, capture the spirit of the franchise and just translate it to movies, I think. I mean, even if it's condensed or just pulling pieces of it, the fact that they're actually going with that is just, it's it's a testament to how much video games and film translations have gone in recent years. I think ever since, uh, like, Detective Pikachu, um, we started getting more and more. I mean, you saw how well-received the Sonic movies have been, and then we've got the Super Mario Bros. movie, how phenomenal those were. And so I feel like it is a testament to what we should, we could be potentially seeing in, in future years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think the key is just like getting people on board that are fans of that franchise and just kind of like having their input on like the plot or, or like help like writing the movie. Um, yeah, I think that it could, um, it, like, it, yeah, it, it, it definitely helps to have, like, those people on board. So, like, you're not getting someone that doesn't really know what the original franchise is to an extent. Like, um, like, people, like, I, because I feel like that was the problem with, like, a lot of the like 90s film adaptations was that uh like the people couldn't really like, like express what the franchise was about so like like something with like with street fighter for instance um i think the uh like it could have been a lot better done but i can't words right now <laughs> uh it's all good no you make a great point i mean uh with those earlier 90s films i have to admit i absolutely adore those films so like street fighter and the super mario bros heck i i just went to the uh i not just went this was a couple of years ago <laughs> but uh i went to the anniversary screening of the super mario bros film because i absolutely loved it from childhood and um yeah, it has aged, and not only that, but um, it does showcase how uh, a lot of the video game um, adaptations into film were not the best in terms of reception. It still doesn't take away from enjoying the film for what it was, and I feel like that's what a lot more people are able to finally do, is to enjoy it for what it was. Yeah, and it helps that, like like modern day film adaptations are kind of made for people that love that franchise. So in the case of the super Mario bros movie, they um, uh, like they were able to add all these like nods and all these references to the games. And even the past adaptations, which was wholesome as heck. I mean, one of the scenes was literally playing the Mario Bros. theme song from the TV show. I mean, there was just so many homages and just a lot of um, wonderful things that they did to reference all the fans, not just a certain portion of fans. Yeah, and I feel like it could be um, where, like, yeah, the, the writing can really make or break the adaptation um so like even if you have like these homages to uh, the franchise in it that if the script is not the best like it kind of tends to drag it down in some people's eyes um like i think that fans can still enjoy the movie for what it is but um, yeah, I I feel like the writing just makes plays a large part in that. It does help a lot. I mean, one thing that I've been noticing, and I can I can say this uh, coming from personal experience, is that 
there's this sort of, you know, um, the past walks or the or these films walk so um, that these newer films can run that type of thing. So like, um, pay respect to the uh, ones that that started the initiative of translating these video games into film, and um, enjoy what we have now. So I feel like that's something that I'm very happy to see uh, with fans who are, you know, paying respect to the fact that the night, say like the 90s uh, Mario Bros. walk so that the <laughs> the new one can run, that type of thing. I, I love that type of uh, reception that it gets. It's still playing um, love to both films and then you've got people who uh, genuinely admire both and are able to share that enjoyment. Like, it's not one or the other, which I appreciate, in all honesty. Yeah. I feel like there's too much of the, this is better than this, and remake is not as good as this, and yada, yada, yada. Just enjoying both for what they are. Yeah, and, uh, like, going back to horror, because um, horrors had a lot of that happen with, like, the Friday the 13th franchise, how there was that... Uh, like, I guess, reboot? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Like, the two, the 2009 movie. Um, just, like, yeah, how... Yeah, it, I, I've noticed that a lot. Um, like, it interpreted the franchise differently than before, but, you know, you still have those people that enjoy, like, movies like that for what they are, um... And, you know, I, f I feel like that's, in like, that's important to remember for someone that would, like, would want to make, like, a remake or something to that extent. Like, just because your interpretation is different than someone else's, that doesn't make your interpretation any less valid, for, for the most part, I feel... Yeah, a lot of the, um, I used to be in the, in that mindset. I mean, I used to, like, uh, one of my favorite films, of course, is Fright Night, the 1985 by director Tom Holland. That one is, uh, plays an important role as me, uh, for me as a creator, as a voice actress, as a writer. And, um, you know, seeing the 2011 remake, um, I was very excited for it and I was very disappointed at the time. And, um, you know, I used to be in this little... A bubble of you know I can't stand these remakes and now as I've gotten older I'm able to appreciate both types of films I, I appreciate both of them and that's something I feel like a lot of us struggle with um, mostly because there's a certain nostalgia or quality that you just don't feel with the newer ones um, which again your feelings are valid it's just also at the same time um, not to pick apart the people who actually are able to uh, one one thing that I've noticed time and time again is uh, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. It was ironic for me, but I actually enjoyed the remake. And when I watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street, the irony here is that I fell asleep. <laughs> I fell asleep during... <laughs> this film about a killer who comes and gets you and you do you see the irony here so um i i love robert england and i love the 80s i love the cast and the effects and all that stuff so there's still that um love for the original and appreciation for the new ones it's just i feel like it's kind of it's kind of a trend to mock the newer things and just find every fault in them not everyone has that, but uh, it, it is something that I've I've noticed a pattern in. And again, it, it some some of these reactions are valid. After all, if you feel a certain uh, quality was not met based on the original, it does tend to taint the film for you guys, and that's valid. But also, um, I feel like it's reasonable for people to still enjoy both. Yeah. Um... And from what I recall, like the the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, like it did, it did introduce like a couple new elements to the franchise, but um, like I think if you 
introduce a new element but it's not handled in the best way like people will kind of not like that part because like that you try to do something new to this movie and it just doesn't work the way you wanted it to and and uh side note i, I do love the clancy brown the voice of mr Krabs, was one of the parents that set freddy krueger on fire in the flashback uh, spoilers by the way just go <laughs> go watch the go watch the nightmare on elm street movies if you you want to not get spoiled i get i don't know <laughs> um it always makes me laugh when I see certain people inside uh, certain films. Like, for instance, uh, you mentioned Clancy Brown, the voice of Mr. Krabs. Uh, in the film, I believe it's Jennifer's Body, you've got the voice actor of Patrick uh, doing his voice of Patrick, screaming at the top of his lungs, and it's just absolutely hilarious. I can't say it because it's very explicit, but <laughs> what he says in Patrick's voice is absolutely hysterical. And it's just it's so funny to see uh, where these voice actors and such go from. And Clancy Brown is no ex exception. I always get surprised. I'm like, oh, that's him. That's Mr. Krabs. And I'll see him in different movies. And I guess he's very common in, in different types of movies. I think one of them uh, I watched... I can't remember the name of it, but it had, oh God, what is his name? Kevin Costner in it. And he played uh, one of the sergeants or what have you. And I was just like, wow, I did not realize Clancy Brown did so many films before uh, doing the voice of Mr. Krabs. <laughs> yeah, I think like one of the big film roles he got before SpongeBob was uh, in the Highlanders series um so like it, it might be like a little bit weird to people that like saw that and saw him just you know absolutely like killing it in that role and then like to see him go to spongebob and like get all this fame from that uh yeah just <laughs> acting be kind of weird like that sometimes yeah but it's fun to see you get to i like seeing the various roles that people do um, yeah absolutely one thing that i mentioned previously was uh matthew lillard in five nights at freddy's how he was one of the ogs uh in the scream franchise and it was just like wow man you get to see these people making comebacks and what have you uh, in different types of films or animations. Heck, he even became the new voice of Shaggy in Scooby-Doo. And it's just like, wow, that is just phenomenal to see the progression of his career. Yeah, seeing him in Scream is like this, you know, crazed killer type character. Like, like yeah, it's weird to put it alongside, yeah, like Shaggy from the live action Scooby-Doo. Like, I actually have a funny story with that, too. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Uh, when I first I first watched Scream with my cousins, uh, we watched it back when uh, my cousins were coming down from L.A. And uh, we were watching the VHS of Scream, and I saw Matthew Lillard. And all I'm thinking of is Shaggy. So I'm like, oh, no, I hope the killer doesn't kill Shaggy. And my cousin's just like uh, casual chuckling. And then I realized that he is the killer. Spoilers. I was just, I felt so betrayed. <laughs> Little kid me was so betrayed. It was so freaking funny. I mean, it was just hysterical. Um, Little me with horror movies was absolutely hilarious. I mean, uh, I used to say the funniest things. Uh, one of the things I said, and this is no joke, I still remember this vividly because it made everybody laugh. I was a kid and my cousins were watching a Halloween film. So you have Michael Myers on the screen and I walk in casually saying, oh, is that Michael Jordan Jackson? Thinking <laughs> Michael Jordan and Michael Jackson were the same person, uh, same name or what have you. <laughs> And Michael Myers was the same person. So I, I combined the names and everyone was just dying. It was <laughs> hilarious. But um, 
I felt so betrayed uh, with Shaggy being the killer in Scream. Which, speaking of, we have confirmation for the seventh upcoming Scream film, and I am so excited about it. There's so much talk about it. One of them being that Matthew Lillard's character, Stu, was not actually dead. There's been a fan theory rolling around for years that he didn't actually die from being electrocuted on the TV, that he's coming back. And in the previous, it was Scream 6, spoiler warning, but there's, they actually addressed that fan theory. And it was just like, ooh. So one thing that we could possibly see is a return of Stu as the ultimate mastermind in this new upcoming Scream movie, which I am very excited about. Yeah, I feel like uh, because with uh, Screams 5 and 6, one of the main characters, uh, spoilers, by the way, just there's going to be a lot of that. So um, just be careful if you haven't seen any of these They've been out long yet. enough. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is fair. Um, but so in Screams 5 and 6, one of the main characters is the... Uh, was she the niece of Billy or was No, she's the daughter of Billy. It's just Right. Um, they yeah. hid her identity or hid the identity from her. Yeah. Uh and it's very interesting because she has conversations with uh Billy in uh her mind state, which is very interesting. Yeah. But, uh, another thing that you notice it's mentioned very briefly in Scream 5, but there's a character who is related to Stu, uh, his cousin, who ends up getting killed. And we don't see anything else progress from that. So it's very interesting how each one has a connection to Stu. So first his cousin gets killed in number 5, and then number 6 is when they reference that fan theory that he may still be alive. So um, I find that very interesting that it could be a potential uh, Easter egg that we're going to see Stu in the seventh one. And the reason I say Easter egg was because, plot twist, this was a plot that was supposed to be in Scream 3. Did oh, you happen to know really? that? I did not know that. Yeah. So if you know Scream 3, again, spoilers, this film was rather old but in the third screen movie uh the killer ends up being uh sydney's like half brother and um in actuality the plot was gonna have the official killer be matthew lillard stew as the mastermind behind um you know manipulating stew into killing everybody so um when Matthew was not available to be the character coming back in to make that plot twist happen, they ended up going with the brother storyline. So um, it seems that there's a potential connection with that thrown away plot line making a comeback in this newer version. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see that like happening in Scream 7. Um and at, at the end of like uh they they could reference the fact that like at the end of part 6 like the the main character who was like Billy's daughter uh like she started almost like turning into him with like just uh how she killed the final guy um so like it, like it could be like where Stu shows up and tries to like convince her to become a killer like that. And I, I feel like they could go like a lot of different ways with that. So like there is a lot of potential if they bring, if they do decide to bring up that plot point. It like they, they've made it possible to where it could happen. Um, which I feel like they did a fantastic job as a uh, job with. I mean, here this plot line was going to be for Scream Three, and um, when it didn't work, I feel like they have prepped it up with this new continuation of the series, to where it could actually still happen. Which I think was uh, 
very well written. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think so too. Um like yeah, that that's kind of the thing where like if you want to use a previous plot point that didn't get used, like yeah, it's important to like have it set up properly so if you want to introduce it into the movie like there's like a there's reasoning behind it and um like it like it's not so much a it like it doesn't stand out as much as like it would if it wasn't set up properly like it it would it would just feel kind of like thrown in and random i think I mean, that's how uh, we got to see Kirby come back, which I thought was absolutely an amazing surprise. I mean, if you remember Scream 4, uh, she gets stabbed, and I thought that character had died all those years ago. But surprisingly, she, she comes back in this film. So it seems like they are delivering on working with fan theories and working with individuals who have followed closely along with this franchise and implementing certain things that actually make sense uh, for returning characters without it becoming a supernatural type of killer. Yeah, and I, I think the thing with her character in Scream 4 was that, like, they didn't show her die. They just kind of, like, cut to another scene. So I think that was... Exactly. Like, yeah, fans kind of picked up on that. That, like, she might not actually be dead this time. Um, Which was absolutely crazy. Like, it just blew my mind. Because here I thought she had died. And then, like, my friend even says... She looks at me, she's like, well she didn't explicitly die you didn't see her die and i'm like wait what do you mean i could have sworn it shows her dying and that's not the case so <laughs> when they brought her back in i was just like oh my god she's alive <laughs> it was amazing plot twist for me yeah and i th i think as a franchise goes on like i, I feel like having those plot twists is kind of um like it kind of helps keep it fresh in a way like uh like you're not just retreating the same ground or like retreading the same ground that you did in like all these other movies um like there's actually something to differentiate it from the others in some way so i'm very excited to see how things go whether it is Matthew Lillard returning to Scream or potentially being a certain character in the upcoming Five Nights at Freddy's film. And, and speaking of upcoming movies, uh, I, I think they announced it like a while ago, but this is my first time hearing about it, uh, that they're making a Final Destination 6 uh, as well. Um and I guess uh, Tony Todd's character uh, from the first couple of movies uh, is coming back. And uh, so, like, that kind of created a lot of theories from fans that, like, like of his involvement in the movie and, like, what is even going to happen in that movie uh, because I barely saw the whole series this year because my friend had I told her I'd never seen them and she had me binge watch all of them and in each one I did note that Tony Todd was in every single one and it was just I was just like oh my gosh so I do have a contributing theory and it's probably the same one that's floating around I feel like he has to be because they always talk about you know death as a person and um, being the one um, feeling cheated by the individuals. So I feel like his character may be the physical embodiment of death in the franchise. Yeah, I, I could see that. Um, from what I remember, like, he he was always very, like, cryptic with what he said. Um, but he always... Cryptic, almost slightly menacing, even. Yeah, um, like, like, there was always that feeling that, like, he knows more than 
like he wants other people to know but it's never really clear like how much he knows and like what his involvement is with death and all these different characters yeah i feel like they could um have him either be like death in disguise or maybe help the like remaining survivors out in some way like that yeah they could, they could really Even death's assistant i mean there's so many options with this character yeah um yeah and i i feel like that's like part of the fun thing with uh, like upcoming movies like this is that there's a lot of different directions that it could take um and like the writing could just make it like the most amazing thing ever so to speak um that like you know you really you finally get some closure to like fan theories that have been out for several years um uh. like why these individuals and what have you the last one we got to see why these individuals um because it the last film was technically a prequel yeah, uh, setting up for the airplane. The actual first one. I, that totally blew my mind. I mean, there could be a finally we get an explanation as to why the rest of the things occur. I mean, we see why it occurred the first time, technically the last time, um, vice versa <laughs> with these ones. But there's also different set scenarios that have it acting a little bit differently, which could be very interesting. Yeah, and I I think the important thing to remember is that you know we're not in the heads of like the writers so like when we like when people come up with fan theories for stuff it might not be what the actual plan is so like it's it's all about like the execution like even though you don't think that like even though you thought something different was going to happen than it did uh like if yeah if it if it's executed correctly like it it doesn't feel as disappointing as if like the idea that you had turned out to be better than what actually happened i feel um and there's just a lot of ways that these films could go and i'm very excited to see (laughs) yeah uh yeah yeah it is nice to just have some like to have these options available um and yeah like it, it, it's just about seeing what happens on in the movie um and just you know yeah if it goes great then like that's another enjoyable horror movie out there and on the subject of final destination i have to ask because Yesterday, as we were driving, I had to go driving with a friend, we were stuck behind a a truck that was carrying a a bunch of giant pipes, and I instantly went to the other lane and zoomed around it, and she looked at me and she's like, "I I I didn't know if you were going to move or not, I was terrified, I'm like we watched Final Destination together, I'm not staying behind this truck. (laughs) So I have to ask, do you have any memorable death scenes from that film? Um, not necessarily that you enjoy, but just something that stuck out to you. Uh, I I feel like um the uh uh Carter from the first Final Destination, who was the one that uh like he tackled Alex out of the way of the sign at the very end, and then like he's like oh so who's next and then like he realizes and then the sign just comes down and like slams into him and that's how the movie ends um i i, I did like that one um uh, and i there's so many that stick out to me um uh i i loved and also kind of hated the tanning bed scene from the third final destination um it just because like it like it felt very drawn out so i was just like this i I feel very uncomfortable like watching that um (laughs) 
but uh, that there was, was no release of tension yeah but but that was uh, by design i'm sure um yeah um, it, it, there was also the scene in the second final destination movie where uh one of the characters was standing out in a field and like this van or something like it blew up killing off another character and like the explosion launches like a part of barbed wire fencing uh like into the character and it like just like splits him into like three separate pieces um and he just like crumples to the ground um Nervous laughing, nervous laughter with all these, all these different things that happen in these films. I was so like, oh my lord, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, um, I like on on a related note. Um, I, I just love the the last kill in the second movie where um the main two characters that survived up to this point, they were having dinner with like a, a family and um, the, like one of the kids was someone that the police officer guy had saved from like getting ran over. I think it was, um, or it was something to that extent, but like he saved the kid from dying then. Um, and the two main characters like realize what that meant and the family's just going on about like like oh there's so we're so thankful to you for saving our kid and then like they look over towards the kid and then just the grill explodes uh, um and then like the kid's severed arm just lands in front of the mom and she's just like like ah <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Like the 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 you would never expect some of these things that happen. I mean, people always talk about the one where the girl is like, uh, from the first film, she's like, "Drop effing dead," and then the car just slams right into her. <laughs> like some of these things just come out of nowhere in these films, and I think that's the most jarring part. Yeah, and it's yeah, I I do love the like the setup to the scenes. Um... Like, especially in the earlier movies, because I felt like it was more... I, like, it felt a little more realistic, I guess. Like, because, like... Because you knew it was coming, but you didn't know how. Yeah. I, uh, like, uh, yeah, I, I I think that's really what I'm, like, I'm trying to say. Uh, uh, like, I, I feel like with the later movies, it just kind of felt a little more... Like, it felt a little more... I don't know if convoluted is the right word, but, like... Uh, like, it felt more like just a Rube Goldberg machine-type, like, setup for a death scene, or, like, a potential death that someone saves them from. Uh, um, I, I, like, that, that's just my, my opinion on things, I feel. Oh, no. We uh, have an unexpected guest. My cat is meowing. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> he decided that he wanted to, to contribute to the conversation. She was saying something about, thank goodness there's no animal deaths <laughs> in the film. <laughs> yeah, that that would be kind of a little much if there were some animals getting caught in the crossfire, so to speak. <laughs> Which is so bizarre. We're okay with seeing all these humans die, but once you see an animal, it's just like, no. <laughs> it's just a straight up no. I, I don't think so. We're not doing that. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I think that it's... Like, because you go in... Like, you go into the movie with the expectation that like you're going to see a lot of these human characters die and like you kind of are like you're able to sp spend some time with them in most cases so like you know you like you're not as shocked when they die when like they've 
like the plot's been setting up for this to happen but like when they like throw in the the part that like the the killer has killed some animals or something um like it just feels a little more like shocking i guess uh that's why i like about certain films that uh let the animals live um, a lot of people say it's because of the innocence and stuff, so I always get personally angry that an animal gets killed. But one that makes me laugh, and this is the one that we were just watching, uh, The Meg 1 and 2, and I'm so glad I rewatched it because this was freaking hilarious. There is a dog inside both Meg 1 and 2 named Pippin, and Pippin survives both films. But when I tell you this dog gave no Fs, I mean it. This dog is freaking hilarious, okay? The first one, this dog jumps in the ocean and starts swimming around and survives the Meg. The second one, this freaking dog tries to warn the humans by barking at the water and then goes on and tries to freaking bite a tentacle of a kraken. Like, this dog gave no F. He was like like a mini Jason Statham in a poodle form. I was freaking dying. It was hilarious. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I love to see in horror movies, all right? I want to see a dog fighting the killer. Like, come on. Let's see more of that. I was rooting for Pippin, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it is pretty funny when, like, you have, like, just, like, these cute little animals just, like, try to, like, fight, like, square up to the killers and, like, just try to like attack them i've seen but it one other time and it was amazing it was um if you've ever seen the lost boys uh nanook is this alaskan husky who ends up killing one of the vampires by just knocking him into a bathtub full of freaking holy water and garlic like and literally the dog is just like just panting and just like la 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 like literally this dog just killed a whole ass vampire <laughs> and, like just so happy living its best life not even a care in the world it, it, i just love when you see some of the animals uh step in it is just hilarious i want more of that yeah um yeah there there was this scene um it and it's not as uh like like it's not as cool because like it also died too but um uh, in Aww. the movie eight-legged freaks uh which is about like a bunch of spiders taking over this town um there's a scene starring uh what's his name starring dewey from scream <laughs> yeah david arquette um yeah it it's like, like it's a pretty like intentionally cheesy horror movie but uh in one of the scenes the police officer and like his family are in like their house uh, like like they find a spider somewhere i like i don't know if it was in the wall already but uh like the spider like goes to hide in this little like vent opening like in the wall and like the family's cat like follows them into the wall and you get like the cat and spider like fighting it out inside of the wall and like like slamming each other into the wall so it makes like an imprint of like a spider um and then like yeah it like it goes farther up like into the roof um and like it ends with the cat dragging the spider into one of the light fixtures and they both get electrocuted but it's just like like you you don't really see that kind of thing in a horror movie like the cat just like full-on fighting this monster or, or something like that um, um that is it, it it made it, it sacrificed itself for the greater good of the human. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's just there's there's so many horror movies out there that yeah. There's just so much good either fight scenes or death scenes or just a lot of different things. Like there's just so much out there that sticks out in people's memories and you know is often 
like a main part of why they watch horror movies like that. Um, yeah, and I, I, it's just something that has made me a lifelong horror fan. Um, even if sometimes you do get traumatized from some of the stuff they show in those movies. Um, true, true. I always say that um, a majority of the time I like to see good versus evil in horror movies. And that's what I love about horror movies is seeing the good guy. And on occasion you do root for the villain, but um, majority of the time I like to see the good guys win. Yeah. So that's my, my takeaway with horror. <laughs> Yeah, and, like, it's also crazy to think that, like, like a lot of big-name actors have been in horror movies. Um, and, like, some in, in some cases, it's, like, you just recognize them from something they did later in their career. And, like, the horror movie is, like, one of their first-ever film roles. Like, for example, uh, Johnny Depp in the first Nightmare on Elm Street... Um, iconic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. One yeah. that kills me a lot is uh in Creature from the Black Lagoon. There's three of them in Return of the Creature, uh, which is the sequel. There is a short scene, and I'm not even exaggerating, where you see a young Clint Eastwood, um, say you know, uh, he's working in a lab. He's like, I can't find the third mouse, and then you see Clint Eastwood out of mouse out of his pocket barely even a whole line maybe two words or something and then people say this is clint eastwood's movie <laughs> <laughs> he was in it for like five seconds but it was his first role that people recognized him in yeah um yeah i i love when horror movies like they give this like char this character that only appears in one scene, but they have just such a memorable personality that like they just stick in your mind, um, and like they just sometimes they become the best part of that movie just from that one scene that they showed him in. And it's always fun when you get to see someone that you weren't expecting. Especially when you revisit older movies like that. Like the Clint Eastwood thing always cracked me up. I'm just like, where is he? Where is he? And then I look back at the credits and I'm like, oh, that was him? That was so short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's uh, hilarious how things go. Uh, and So any other final thoughts you would like to add? Uh, one of the things that we, we can just touch on briefly. Like we don't have to go super in depth about it. But... Uh, uh, how are you feeling about the third Terrifier movie? Oh my goodness. So when I first watched, I watched Terrifier 1 and 2 with my roommate. And uh, the first one stuck up to us because it was hilarious what ensued. So that night I wanted to watch some horror movies with my roommates. And we were pretty uh, newer roommates at that time. We watched the movie Clown by Eli Roth, which I had had on my list, and I had another one named Terrifier, another clown movie. So we watched that one, thankfully not while eating, and we hid behind our hands a majority of the movie. Not because it was scary, more so because of how gory it was. And that night, unbeknownst to me, I was getting cussed out by my roommate. Why? Because she had a dream that we went to a horror convention and I wanted to go meet Art the Clown. And as we went to go say hi Art to Art the Clown, my roommate was freaking out going, he's gonna kill you, he's gonna kill you. And me being oblivious, I guess, in this dream, I was just like, oh no, it's just the movie. It's just the movie. And I guess in said dream, I talk with Art the Clown and then Art the Clown tries to kill me and then he does end up killing me. And then my roommate gets mad at me and begins to cuss me out in her sleep. So the next day, <laughs> when she wakes up, she is absolutely pissed with me. And I have no idea why. And then afterwards, we find out that my other roommate watched her do the whole thing. Absolutely 
cussing me out in her sleep. <laughs> and we, it, she knew that it was me because of how she was talking in her sleep. So um, we have this thing now where if we ever meet David Howard Thornton or the, the actor of Art the Clown, that we will tell him about this dream and how I got myself killed. And she wanted to kill me when she woke up, even though I <laughs> never did it. <laughs> so um, it is very memorable, but very gory. And I did love the sequel a lot more. It was very long. I feel a little stretched out. But I did very much enjoy the aesthetic of the films. I just wish there was a little bit less gore, but that is uh, just a personal preference. But yeah. I am excited to see where the third one goes, especially with these new characters that they introduced and the new concept. Yeah. Um, and uh, like before I watched the second Terrifier movie, uh, my cousin who really wanted to watch it with me, um, she's, she told me this story that she found of like people that – uh, like when they were holding like pre-screenings for the movie before it went to uh, theaters nationwide um, that like people were like throwing up and like passing out at the screenings. So before we watched it, I had that in my mind and I was just like, it can't really be that bad, can it? And uh, yeah, I like I had to like look away from the screen at one point because I felt like a little like nauseous and I was like, oh, this might actually be worse than I was anticipating. Oh, no. <laughs> it was definitely yeah, caught us off guard. And the funny thing is uh, the same roommate that got mad at me in her sleep we were the ones that watched uh the sequel together and a majority of the time we both had our pillows up to our faces and we're talking to each other behind the pillow like hey man hey man what's up you doing all right yeah man you yeah you think it's safe to look yet no not yet man i still see blood flashing on the screen (laughs) (laughs) So that's how we watched the sequel and the first one. But the sequel was just funnier because we were right next to each other at that point. And many conversation had behind the pillows. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But still an entertaining movie nonetheless. Yeah. And uh, I am looking forward to the third movie. But uh, then again, uh, I, I did see a it was like a snippet of like an interview that like the, uh, the director had where like they were just like, yeah, we're going to go even farther beyond the second movie in the third movie. And I'm like, how far are you going to go in the third movie? Like, like the second movie was how much that bad. Can like, you go? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, it makes me wonder, like, oh, Lordy, how do I prepare myself mentally and physically for this? One, I'm not going to eat before watching the movie or during <laughs> the movie. That's the one way I know. Like, yeah, it's going to be interesting just to, like, if not just for the gore aspect of it, um, like, just, just to see where they go with the plot for from there um and yeah there's a lot of just interesting stuff that i'm sure we'll get some answers to as we get closer to the movie coming out um and yeah it's it should hopefully be a pretty enjoyable time even if some people have to look away from the screen every now and then and yeah. That's one of the films that I, I definitely understand having to look away. Still enjoyable, but do avert, avert your eyes if you cannot handle the gore. Yeah, <laughs> it is <definitely>. very understandable. <laughs> um, well, I want to say thank you so much for having me join you with this podcast. It was wonderful to be able to do uh, this introductory podcast with you and... I hope to be able to continue this conversation uh, soon enough as I have you on my own personal podcast, uh, Ran Around New Rambles. Yeah, um, and we are going to be recording another half of this podcast, I guess, um, 
uh, over, yeah, over on Arena Rooney's channel. So, uh, yes, go over there. Wait, when that drops, I will definitely post about it on my social media. And I am at Jeremy Volkman VA on Twitter if you want to give me a follow after you've seen this. Thanks again for having me. And uh, yeah, I thanks am for definitely being excited a part to be of able this. to do more with you. Yeah, man, of course. But that will be all for now. Um, like if I, I think of anything that I forgot to do, then I will make sure to put it somewhere in there. Um, and also, uh, you know, let me know down in the comments if you want to see more of this podcast. Um, I promise that the future episodes will have less scuff than this episode. Uh, th yeah, this was just more a starting point and I hope to make more episodes either by myself or with other guests on my channel. Um, but that is all for now. Thank you for watching and see you next time.